0: Former US President Donald Trump has been in Ireland this week. He's also in Scotland, visiting the two golf courses he has, Dunbeg in County Clare, and he has a wonderful golf course in Scotland. He's two there, but one of them is Turnberry, which is a real classic links course where many major championships have been played. While he was here, however, a very serious trial was taking place in Washington of Four Proud Boys, they are the gang that led the assault on the Capitol on January the 6th, 2021. And really in that ferocious attack, which followed a speech by Donald Trump urging people to march on the Capitol, five people died, one of them a policeman, and 140 police men and women were injured in that attack. The intent was, it was alleged in the charge, to overturn the election result and there could be no more serious charge. We're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanich, Nile's associate editor of the Hill newspaper, a very respected newspaper, for being a, a more balanced than most media sources. And Nile is also White House columnist for The Hill. Nile, thank you very much for joining us. This conviction yesterday of four proud boys, including Enrique Tarrio, who is what they call their chairman, it carries a prison sentence of 20 years, potentially. It is very serious, is it it not? Because seditious conspiracy involving an attempt to reverse a legitimate election result, you couldn't have a more serious charge, could you?
2: No, not really. I think that's a very fair point. I mean, seditious conspiracy is, in essence, a crime of uh, conspiring to overthrow the state or to overthrow the legitimacy of the state. It's uh, a crime of subversion. It generally involves the plotting or actual participation in violence. And uh, sentencing, admittedly, won't be until we think around July, but, as you say, a potential 20-year sentence. I think more to the point... And it really does rebut in a very emphatic way. Some of the attempts that have been made on the right here to minimise uh, what happened on January the sixth, or to suggest that it was people who were somehow uh, misled or made, uh, you know, poor decisions in yes. the moment, um, that wasn't the case with the Proud Boys. And one of the reasons that these convictions have been secured, have been messages on uh, private messaging apps where they were plotting what some called a revolution before um, January the 6th. And, and just one final point on that: Enrique Tarrio, who is the, or was the de facto leader of the Proud Boys, was not actually in the city on January the sixth because he had been banned or ordered to leave the District of Columbia just a couple of days earlier for bringing high-capacity rifle magazines yes. uh, into the District of Columbia. So that I think underlines the element of pre-planning and just the simple gravity of what we're talking about here.
0: Yes, and there have been consistently attempts to downplay what happened on January 6th and to deny that it was an insurrection. I think most people now accept that it is, at most reasonable people, that it was an insurrection. I mean, we should remember what was happening in the capital mm. that day, which was really the formality of Mm. the Vice President, Mike Pence, who is the President of the Senate by virtue of his position, just legitimizing the election result and the Electoral College votes. It's a fairly ritualistic and and simple thing. And what those who were against it were trying to do was stop that procedure Mm -hmm. and therefore prevent Joe Biden from becoming President And as part of that, Donald Trump had put enormous pressure on the Vice President, Mike Pence. And he had accused Pence of being a coward. Mm -hmm. And when they broke into the Capitol, the Senate chamber, the House of Representatives chamber, they were looking for Pence and they were shouting, Mm -hmm. hang Mike Pence. Mm -hmm. But this wasn't a game. Pence had to be and his family who were with him, and many others, senators and congressmen and women, had to be taken to safety, into safe rooms.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. People were in real peril of their lives, including Mike Pence, who obviously, to his credit, withstood that pressure and did ultimately preside over that uh, verification of the election results. But had... Uh, the effort being pushed by uh, Trump and his allies been successful, you would have thrown the United States into chaos. You would, at a minimum, have caused a constitutional crisis. And the idea on which most democracies are based of a peaceful transfer of power following election would have been incinerated. I mean, it was one of the most... Uh, shameful days in uh, modern American history. And I think you're right in pointing out these attempts to minimize it, which I think have to be uh, resisted even by those of us in the media uh, and just remind people if they're not already aware just how serious this was and how fundamentally the basics of American democracy would have been um, eroded had it succeeded.
0: Now, there's another fact, and it's a significant fact, during a debate with Joe Biden in the lead up to the election, Donald Trump was asked about the Proud Boys. And what he said, his response alarmed some people, although only in retrospect does it seem sinister. His reply when he was asked about the pr- Proud Boys was Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. Now, At the time he said that, I didn't quite get it because I was watching that debate. But others Mm. did. This is a suggestion that they should wait and be ready. Mm. And that arose in this trial.
2: Yeah, I mean, this idea that he was suggesting, to put that comment in context, Donald Trump in the lead up to the 2020 election had always been equivocal at best as to whether he would accept the results were he to be defeated. In a way, the election denialism that followed the result was not that much of a surprise because Trump had telegraphed that he would protest the results uh, if, he, if he lost. Now, that stand-back-and-stand-by comment could certainly have been interpreted as an instruction to the proud boys, which is effectively a sort of uh, quasi militia it 's a very peculiar group in lots of ways, but in any event the the suggestion was that they might have a role to play, and I think that is why that stand back and stand by comment caused such controversy at the time, and as you say, was obviously uh, invested with additional significance after what happened on January the 6th.
0: Now, on January the 6th, before they marched en masse to the Capitol, Trump made a speech to his supporters, and he encouraged them, shall we say, to march. He said, if we don't move now, we won't have a country to fight for, and that effectively was a clarion call to the, the Oath Keepers also, another militia group who are dangerous, and off they went, and we can't forget the five people, one of them a police officer who died, and 140 other policemen and women were injured. This <clears> is doesn't get more serious than this, does it? And yet the gravity of it appears not to have sunk in with Republicans, or maybe has sunk in, but they haven't certainly recognized it or acknowledged it.
2: I think that's a very fair point. When you look at those number of people in law enforcement who were injured on January the 6th, the Republican Party traditionally um, much like the Conservative Party in Britain, has, has seen itself as the party of law and order, unquote, and being tough on crime and all of that, supporting the police even at times when it has been uh, debatable to do so. Like, for example, when there are protests regarding the treatment of black people at the hands of police in this country. The Republican Party talks about backing the blue, which is a slogan for defending the police. And yet in this instance, where, as you say, well over 100 uh, police officers were injured, it's sort of brushed aside or, or minimized or otherwise just not really acknowledged at all. And that speech that you referred to uh, on the ellipse close to the White House by, the, by then President Trump, uh, we fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Yes, I mean, to any reasonable person who's not seeking to justify or rationalize Trump's behavior, that's plainly incitement. In, within within the circumstances and within the context. And that's why he ultimately did become uh, the only president in history to have been twice impeached, though, of course, he wasn't ultimately convicted by the Senate. So uh, that that those remarks, what happened that day, continues, I think, to be, uh, to some extent, a millstone around Trump and the Republican Party's neck, but also one that the Republican Party are not eager to uh, fully acknowledge, in my view.
0: Now, the special counsel that has been appointed to this case by Merrick Garland. The Attorney General, Jack Smith, is the special counsel. He is somebody with an unimpeachable record as far as I know, and I think you've we've spoken about him before. Mm. This conviction is a victory for the prosecutors. How serious are the implications for Donald Trump? And I just put this question to you now because we thought that Trump, after the midterms, when so many of the candidates he endorsed didn't do very well in the election, we thought he was not exactly yesterday's man, but that he wouldn't be even the nominee next time Mm -hmm. out. Since then, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who was seen as the coming man, has imploded. (laughs) And in the latest opinion poll I saw, Donald is 36 points ahead of him. So he seems extremely likely to be the Republican nominee for 2024, probably running against Joe Biden. So the resolution of this case dating back to January 6th is hugely important. If the next president of the United States is someone who may be guilty of seditious conspiracy, where are we?
2: Well, I mean, it's a it's a great question, and obviously, anything that is a reminder of January the sixth is bad for Trump. I mean, he he tries to get around it as best he can, and to talk about the election itself, even though he tends to lie about election fraud and so forth in that regard. Um, any reminder of January the sixth is bad for him. I would guarantee that uh, President Biden, if he is the Democratic nominee, will run ads reminding people of January the 6th, if it is Trump who is his opponent. A couple of things I would say, uh, Eamon, in relation, I mean, obviously people know what happened on January the 6th, and that hasn't inhibited Republicans in at least when asked by opinion pollsters, in backing Trump by a very, very wide margin, as you said. The other point is, actually, uh, I I think it would be a stretch, probably, to convict Trump himself of seditious conspiracy, which tends to involve a direct planning of uh, violence or subversion, as has been proven with the case of these uh, these four proud boys. But it is a major uh, event uh, the the convictions are a major event in underlining once again the seriousness of it and in reminding people of that comment that we referenced in relation to Trump and of generally raising the spectre of uh, authoritarian behavior on his part which I think is a danger to him politically
0: and when you add it together with the fox news debacle last week mm. where they Basically, lost two of their more audacious liars, so-called journalists, and were Fox—I mean Murdoch group of Murdoch—sacked one of them, and what was it? Oh, Almost a billion pounds fine for lying about voting machines. When you add those two things together in an, a ten-day period, it does remind us. Where the United States is at the moment in terms of respecting its democracy, the right to free speech, mm-hmm. the right to expect that the press and media is telling the truth, and the right to believe that Rupert Burdock, whatever people may think of some of his newspapers, is somebody who can be respected. Mm-hmm. All of these things don't seem to hold anymore.
2: I think that the the Threat to American democracy is real and has been real for some years. I mean, many of the things that hold a democracy together have been hollowed out here. Uh, Faith in the fairness of elections, uh, a belief that people who disagree with you can still be fundamentally honourable. The idea that there are things like the, the peaceful transfer of power that are sacrosanct. All of those things have been hollowed out. And that's a problem. It is also a problem to which there is no obvious or quick resolution. As you and I have spoken about before, even Biden sort of promised to uh, restore the soul of America. And I think many people would certainly say he has reintroduced some sense of stability uh, on a basic level of the day-to-day presidency. But I don't think the... um, wounds that have been gaping wider and wider uh, have been closed by the Biden presidency at all. In fact, again, something you and I have noted before, there are a large number of people in this country, a minority, but a large minority, who still refuse to accept that he was yes. legitimately elected. And in fact, that is, that is a majority when it comes to Republican voters. So you put all of those things together and it is a rather uh, bleak, vista in terms of uh, American society.
0: Can we take it, Niall, that Ron DeSantis and his moment in the sun, that Mm. the shadows are falling on poor Ron. He was in London. He didn't make much of a a stir in London. Is DeSantis a busted flush? Because DeDonald has said that he mightn't even enter the first two debates Mm. in the search for Republican nominee for presidency and might come in later on when the little guys have finished beating each other up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You know, the first Republican debate is set for August, so it's obviously not that far away. You know, we're pretty close to this whole primary battle kicking off in earnest. There are suggestions that Trump will uh, fail to appear or refuse to appear at at least one of the first two debates. That does go to the point about DeSantis and his other rivals. DeSantis, just to underline if your listeners aren't aware, has still not officially declared for president, but is is expected to do so in the coming weeks. And he had been seen, and, and I suppose still is, the most serious uh, rival to Trump for the Republican nomination. It's just that the seriousness of that threat has uh, declined quite significantly in the past month or two. DeSantis has got into hot water for a couple of things. There has been a rallying around Trump by Republicans following his indictment in Manhattan. And right now, Trump would be a strong favourite. One small caveat I would put on that, Eamon, is, you know, if you look at past primary Processes in in both parties. Sometimes, you know, the front runner before any debates are held fades, or or the picture changes quite abruptly. That could happen, but clearly Trump's odds of being the nominee have improved. There's no question about that.
1: Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection.
0: Now, now the other thing that I want to ask you about is the debt ceiling, which, mm-hmm. since we last spoke, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary in the United States, a very respected figure and a very experienced figure, has said that on June first, the U.S. will have reached its debt ceiling and will have run out of money. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a very serious. It's not; it's happened before, of course. But if there's no agreement, it has consequences, does it?
2: Yes, it absolutely does. This debate can sound a rather technical one, which it is in some ways. But the it, its repercussions are potentially very serious indeed. Uh, raising the debt ceiling is just a technical way of saying the United States needs to be able to pay the debts it has already incurred, and it needs congress. The government needs congressional approval to do that once the debt reaches a certain point. It had been historically a fairly straightforward mechanism that both parties just sort of went along with. It has become far less so as we know, in the House of Representatives, the Republican speaker, Kevin McCarthy, is dependent upon the votes of, uh, well, everybody in his, con- in his conference, but that particularly is important in relation to right-wingers, the Matt Gaetzes and Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, yes. and therein lies the problem. Uh, basically, to make a long story short, Republicans are demanding budget cuts in return for a vote to raise the debt ceiling. President Biden says no, that can't happen because that's not what historically happens, and that is the impasse that we're at. If both sides were to misjudge this and the United States were to go over the cliff, it would have very serious effects around the world, obviously, including in Ireland, because it would uh, cast doubt on the faith and credit of the United States and undermine the centrality of the dollar, and both those things would be uh, bad for the world economy.
0: Yes, but controlling the House of Representatives as they do, and our Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker, only needs one of them to stand up and call him out, and he's in trouble. So Mm. does that instability that appears to be built into the, the House of Representatives, does that add to the troubles?
2: It certainly adds to the danger. I don't think there's yeah. any question about that. Yeah, because you do have a number of people on the hard right of the Republican Party who are just not um, amenable to the normal kind of political arguments that are, that are made. And so you only need a, need a very small number of them to vote against this thing and you would be in some um, difficulty. Now, you could, it, it is, I mean, Democrats would presumably vote want want to see this raised without condition. Will there be some trade-off in a kind of minor way? Maybe. I, I think the danger is just that it's a bit of a game of chicken, and if it is misjudged, uh, the repercussions would be very, very serious, and they would be very serious soon, as Janet Yellen's comment about Jan, uh, June the 1st uh, underlines.
0: Right. Now, Niall, there is another cause of controversy in the United States at the moment involving former President Trump. It's CNN's decision to host what they call a town hall meeting, which is basically an interview in front of an audience with Donald Trump. The network has had a traditionally antagonistic relationship with Trump and has been in its own way... Wrongly, in my view, and I think we spoke before in your view, much too partisan, almost as mm. bad as Fox, but not as bad, but in that mm. sort, of, sort of in that area now they're deciding to moderate that and be more shall we say you know fair in mm. terms of their treatment so hence, a town hall allowing Trump to speak, it will be hosted by one of their lead anchors, political anchors. And the head of MSNBC, or one of the biggest figures there, tweeted on Monday that CNN was giving a live primetime platform to an indicted insurrectionist inciter, who also incited violence against their network. And they fought back, CNN, and they said, no, we're not going down that road of outright partisanship anymore we're going to try and you know be more balanced
2: yeah that's right that's right
0: i mean cnn
2: i think in retrospect were perceived to have um lost the run of themselves to use a good irish expression on the on the on the left wing or rather anti-trump i don't even think it's fair to say left wing just a sort of trollish or petty anti-Trump yes. stance um, that I don't think really helped them in the long run and a lot of people it's not just my view a lot of people feel that that damaged the reputation of CNN which had at least sought to be in previous iterations more down the middle so they're now trying to get back to that I think uh, inviting Trump to do this and and uh, him accepting is part of that deal uh, or part of that um, attempt. As you mentioned, Mehdi Hassan was the MSNBC host who tweeted that thing about the insurrection. Yes. Um, I mean, on one hand, I think there are valid points to be made about uh, Trump's well known propensity to lie and to lie sometimes in very incendiary ways. On the other hand, I think for any major news organization, uh, what do you do? I mean, you can't ignore the man who is far and away the front-runner to be the Republican nominee, who has already been president, who has probably a, approximately a 50-50 shot of being president again. Uh, I mean, I don't know what CNN or any other network is supposed to do to avoid quote-unquote platforming him. So yes. uh, this town hall is going ahead on Wednesday and we'll see what happens.
0: And I think for those of us who watch CNN and felt it was, you know, way off the beam, and Party Parzan will applaud that. Just a final question about Joe Biden and the numbers that he has at the moment, not least the numbers of people who are Democrats and feel he's too old to run and too frail to run. Mm. Has that shifted in any way? And what what are the numbers vis-a-vis Trump? Because I, I have heard it said that he's a better chance of beating Trump than the santos or anyone else on the republican side
2: i think that's right to take the final point first it would appear in most polls that biden does better against trump than he does against any other frontline republican candidate and i think that is indicative of trump's uh, divisiveness and the fact that there is, are just a greater number of people who won't vote for trump under any circumstances there's an issue about enthusiasm for biden in general and of course one of the weird uh, effects of Trump is that he draws out a lot of people to vote against him as well as a lot of people to yes. vote for him. On the age question, I, I can certainly give you a, a poll number uh, right now. There was a YouGov Yahoo poll um, Recently, I mean, admittedly, this is going back to February, but it asked simply, is as Biden too old to serve another term? 65% of Americans thought yes, including a plurality of Democrats, 48% to 34%. So those are not good numbers, self evidently, for Mr. Biden.
0: Just in your opinion, now, which I shouldn't be asking you at this stage, but <laughs> uh, no, no, it's a bit far out. Is Trump likely to be? the Republican nominee for the 2024 presidential election, despite all of what we know about him, not least the rape trial, which is continuing in New York, with all the stuff he's got, it seems too small to call it baggage, Mm. but a lot of luggage. Mm. Is he a credible candidate for a a democratic country?
2: Well, I mean... I'm sorry, I'm
0: inviting you there to be more partisan than you should be. No,
2: no, I mean, he clearly is a very strong favourite to be the Republican nominee. And once you're the Republican nominee against a Democratic president who has the kind of numbers that Biden does, you have a very reasonable shot, self-evidently. I mean, if you're the nominee of a major party, you start off with about 43 or 44% of the vote anyway, and then you're just trying to either bring out more people or win over voters in the middle ground. I would say right now, you know, will Donald Trump, be elected president in 2024 it's probably a flip of a coin honestly it's probably a 50 50 chance or there and thereabouts there are dangers for him with a general electorate um but will he be the republican nominee right now that is strongly likely
0: okay now we're very grateful to you for joining us today i'm very sorry for inciting you to commit this <laughs> conspiracy and put your own journalistic credibility on the line. You're, you're working with an amateur. We're very grateful to Nile. Nile is the associate editor of The Hill, and his stuff is actually brilliant. He's a really good writer as well as an all round good journalist. We're grateful to Nile, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.